Game of Thrones might be over, but our recap will press on for one final episode. This is the Game of Thrones Season 8 review on Estradial Illusions. I just wanted to take a minute and thank everybody who's been listening with us all season. And to all of our guests, we decided just to do this episode with Clinton and me because it's a season review and you bring four people on that, we'd probably have an episode that was as long as the season. So we'll uh, try to keep it condensed. For those of you who don't know Clint, Clint, do you want to tell us where we can find you? Sure. My name is Clint. Uh, I am the author of lawsandiceandfire.com. You can also find me on Westeros Law on Twitter and Clint W. on Twitter. Awesome. And I'm excited to be here, and I appreciate you inviting me for this season review or series review or whatever the hell we're doing today. Well, thank you. Uh, I have really enjoyed having you on every episode except the big battle with all the darkness. Um Clint was actually there. Nobody could just, he was the, the, the darkness of the episode. Uh, just, you couldn't hear him in, on the right. podcast. Yeah. But, yes, that's um, true. Season eight. I, I like that we were doing this with a yeah, healthy amount of distance between uh, the last episode and now because, I mean, the sort of the, the speed with which Game of Thrones content comes out. It can be hard to just sort of stop and say, okay, what do I really think about this episode? Because there's just so much stuff coming at you from so many different directions. Nice to slow things down a bit. I agree. I I definitely felt very strongly about the episode as soon as it was done. And, and, you know, the finale obviously allowed me to put a lot of the rest of the season in context. Um, And I felt pretty positive about it. And then you sort of get that deluge of takes that come out right afterwards. Um, and it, it can be sort of overwhelming. And there, there's, especially right after the finale, which was not particularly well received, I think, by uh, Twitter and, you know, various uh, reviewers and whatnot. And you start to think, wait, was I crazy to like that? Did I, did, like, all of these people are telling me I'm stupid because I, I enjoyed something. Um and so to have a little bit of time and be able to like fairly weigh some of the like criticisms that are completely legit and other criticisms that, you know, maybe might not land as well or might be in sort of bad faith um, and, you know, get some distance from it. So I'm glad I agree. We're about a week and a half after the, uh, the finale aired. So that's, you know, an eon in game of Thrones time. When I sat down to write my, season review and i i thought about how i was going to approach it because it's such a larger than life show that also just has so many characters that especially with a episode like the finale where even if you felt horrible about john and daenerys's plot line or bran becoming king you know then there, you have stuff like sansa becoming queen in the north or Arya sailing off with it just just a beautiful shot so there it threw so much at you that for the people to just say, Oh my God, I hated every minute of it. I I think that's probably very naturally a overreaction when there's just so much that it's a show that's going to leave people feeling conflicted, even in the best cases of scenarios and finales are so hard to pull off that it's such a, it was such a difficult task that even if it didn't hit the landing in all the regards, there's still a lot to enjoy. And even I, I am 
very conflicted about how I feel even now. I wrote a review that that skews on the negative. I gave it a rotten rating, and that reflected my frustrations with the way that the season rolled out. And I, I don't know how fair it is to say I, I I've tried as hard as I can to resist criticizing the six episodes because there's so many times when that happens with the show and it's made by the network and it's beyond people's control and you understand that. And there's so many shows where this stuff happens where we don't really know what what caused it. So the fact that we know that D&D chose to do this, they chose not to do 10 episode seasons, they chose to do this abbreviated thing. I don't think like you can just say, oh my God, you did that and I hate that. And because of that, the show is shit regardless. But it it wasn't enough time. Yeah, I I totally get that. And, you know, they're human beings and you want to feel for them as human beings and all the people that work so hard on it and all of the brilliant technical expertise that everybody brought to the table. Um, and, you know, say what you will about the writing or whatever, the acting even, even though I thought the acting was spectacular. Um, it was a... It was. It was a treat to watch on our on a daily basis we'll never get anything like that on on television again i don't think i mean maybe i'm wrong hopefully i'm wrong but in terms of like what we were seeing on a day-to-day basis it was just eye candy like non-stop eye candy but at the same time you're like okay well why couldn't we have made the the pacing or the you know character beats a little bit match up with this visual spectacle that we have um a, a little bit more that would have been nice um that's a drum that we've all been banging um and probably will continue to bang for the rest of our lives i think it's also really heavily influenced by just the sheer fact that see well season six seven and eight uh, to a lesser extent five really were the off book seasons i guess five was uh largely off book yeah so we're seeing all this stuff that we don't know what um, we haven't seen in the books yet, so we don't know what's coming. So, a reception to, you know, R plus L equals J, or Bran becoming the Night King, or Hodor's death, or not Night King, uh, Three Eyed Raven, <laughs> or Hodor's death. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, that, yeah. Are you sure? Thankfully, Are that's not sure? a conspiracy theory. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, that theory proved false. Thankfully. Although. Some people could say that him uh, achieving Palpatine-like absolute power was, you know, the same. I don't know. That's a that's a question that the show will not address. No. But um, other than the pacing, was there another reason why you gave it a rotten review? I suppose I could read it. I probably should have, but uh, <laughs> maybe perhaps. I no, I didn't. I didn't really publicize it all that much because I don't. I don't think I showed it to Twitter because I. It, it was a frustrating thing for me to do. I, When it comes to the pacing of the show, episodes one and two, which built up to the third episode, were really, really fun. I, I, I loved them. Episode two is uh, my favorite of the six. Yeah. I loved it. I loved pretty much every minute of it. And in a lot of ways, it served all of the functions of a finale in my eye in the sense that they wrapped up so much character and... Uh, it, a lot of that's because some of the characters then died, but um, it was such like a it was such a high that 
if this were a show like Star Trek The Next Generation, this would have been the finale. And it was it was like that one last sweet moment. But the way they paced those episodes came at and, and actually just just beyond that, the way that they decided to have in this six episode season, really two arch villains in the Night King and then Cersei, but then also really Daenerys. Right. Too, in terms of, you know, the big bads to, you know, to borrow like Buffy terminology or whatnot. Um, so you dedicated half of a season to essentially serving the Night King storyline on a broader scale. But, you know, the, obviously the characters, plenty of it uh, boiled over beyond that. But just the decision to do the Night King in the eighth season, I've really come to think was a mistake. I think they should have found a way to have season seven end with getting him off the table. Yeah, I think that makes sense, especially if they're going to do this sort of truncated epilogue of the last three seasons, or excuse me, three episodes where we've got to set up and resolve um, a conflict between people that hadn't really been seated previously. So, you know, it would be one thing if they bump off the Night King and then John and Danny go down and deal with Cersei, who everybody who has spent the series, all eight seasons, as being one of the major villains. Now, she, you know, she's a, an exceptional villain in all sorts of different ways, but she's one of the major villains. And so um, it would have made more sense if that were the only you know, thing that they had to overcome. But instead, they added this this part where they've got to overcome Daenerys's, I don't know, sort of megalomania um, or uh, desire to free the world and break the wheel and all of that stuff, um, which I, I think obviously came from George. And we've talked about this before. I, you know, that's part of the story. So if that's part of the story, then yeah, you've got to give that more space. Uh, so I get that. I, I, I get, I understand uh, your your rotten rating, I think. Um, the I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with it, but I am not a Rotten Tomatoes approved reviewer like you are. Well, there, there's also just the fact that thinking something is good is different from enjoying yeah, it. That's and true. we we like and vice versa, in terms right? of fantasy, just like you can right. enjoy stuff that you know is objectively bad, right? Right. Like I, I for one wouldn't review Bruce Springsteen albums because I, I can't stand him. That doesn't mean that I think he, that, that I would on an objective scale say he's bad. I just like, cause plenty of people say he's good for all sorts of reasons. Sure. His band is musically good, but I wouldn't do a bad review about that. Right. Because that's not fair. Right. Um, there are things that are good. That I mean, there are things that I like that I would struggle to write a good review of. Like, I love Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, or Xena, Warrior Princess. They're really fun to watch. I, I thank, I, I'm pleased that I don't have to review them, because I don't know what I would do. Because it's hard to, a lot of the times, to say, this is objectively good. It's hard. When it came to, and I love the acting. The acting is up and away. I think Alexandra said this last episode just sort of how they kind of saved the season because they were so fun to watch. It's hard for me to look at the plot line of Cersei telling Bronn to go kill Jaime and Tyrion and then, 
him going there with the crossbow. And then at the end, he's Lord of Highgarden, just sitting there laughing with everybody from uh, episode one to episode six, just progression. Just use that as a single example. Uh, you just look at that and you're like, what the what the hell are you doing? What is this? It's difficult. Yeah. The, and, you know, there was no reason for that that storyline at all if they just never brought Braun back like who would have complained he should have died you know? like yeah he should have died in the spoils wait, of war episode four absolutely or they could have gone the mirror reed route and just not had him back like oh he survived yep he i guess he's somewhere in king's landing and just we're just not going to talk about him anymore right like that would have been fine like who's complaining about that i guess we really want to see jerome flynn he's very charming i get it but at the same time i totally agree it's like they wasted a lot of time on that and time that could have been spent setting up, you know, Daenerys's turn a little bit more or talking about or, or humanizing Bran, you know, so that he's not just this weird, like, uh, Oren from Parks and Rec sitting there who gets to be king. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's frustrating. And I, I totally agree with you on that, on that. Uh, I well, just to build off Bran, I the finale, the the Game of Thrones had a winner, which I didn't really expect it would. It was Bran. It wasn't really, I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, he gets a trophy at the end for winning. The throne isn't even there anymore. But he becomes king. John and Daenerys don't really factor into the final elements of of the of the series. Not not in the traditional storytelling sense. And I go back to just what Bran had been doing for the past two seasons. A, he's, especially in season seven, he's an asshole. Yeah. He treats Mira like shit. Yeah. Uh, treats Sansa like shit. Treats Sansa like shit. He does, you know, factor in. And, and the other reason I guess that I would have loved the Night King to be in season seven is when you have Bran with the cat's paw dagger to Arya and the and also with Theon's earlier redemption arc where he meets Ra uh where he meets John and John forgives him for his many sins to have those two storylines that were produced that were introduced in season 7 to have them essentially conclude if you moved the night king if you put him at the end of season 7 and that's how those two storylines end with the cat's paw dagger and um Theon dying that's that's very very good storytelling, and it's not like it's bad storytelling because it's in episode three, but there's just so much going on that I, I I think the payoff's a little bit diminished. I think they could have built Bran up for what they were gonna do with him a hell of a lot better instead of having him sort of sit around like a hipster for a lot of it. Yeah, I I, I mean no disagreement there whatsoever. Um, I I'm okay with with Bran as king and and i think that um you know I, I was listening to my friend joanna robinson uh talk um on a thing that was definitely not another game of thrones podcast because they don't exist but uh and and she was saying that um it, it makes it sort of uh baffling why they took uh you know a whole season off with bran right like they, he wasn't yeah. in uh, season five at all. Um, and so uh, 
but another thing that she mentioned, and I think that this was right, is that the people who are kind of okay with King Bran tend to be book readers because we've all been inside Bran's head. Um, and we know that he's not just like a creeper hipster dude. We, he's a right. sweet kid. Um, and so we root for Bran in a way that show watchers only, you know, don't. And I think that that's, that's right on. Um, that's probably why I'm like, yeah, I, I'm absolutely fine with Bran. Um, though I would have done it differently, but you know, here we are. I'm not not okay with Bran, but, and people have, people have pointed out that just, if you want to talk about how, I mean, the, the brand Palpatine comparisons are just sort of hanging right there. But on the flip side of it, you know, George R. R. Martin is not, he's not trying to be Ayn Rand saying like, here is the correct right. way. This is your rigid philosophy. This is, this is the path. This is the, the best form of government. He's not doing that. In fact, one thing that the finale did really well was bring up the idea of democracy and then kind of laugh it off because obviously that culture wasn't ready for that. And that's not even to say that democracy is itself, you know, uh, a perfect system in any in any form. America certainly sure. isn't perfect, but we weren't going to get an ending that's just like, you know, we've we've solved political strife or, you know, one that was super laced with uh Compar- obvious comparisons to contemporary politics. We weren't going to get that. So, I, I, I just... For Brand to ha- end the series in that position, because it, especially for those of you who don't read the books, Brendan Rivers, who's the three-eyed raven in the show and the books, uh, but his backstory in the books was he was hand of the king to, I think, at least two separate kings. Uh, I think it was, I think it was three or four. Yeah. Three or four. Okay. That makes sense because he fought in the, uh, numerous Blackfire rebellions, but he gets, he gets sent to the wall by King, King That's Egg, right. isn't it? Uh, King Aegon. Yeah. He gets sent to the wall because there was a council that was supposed to sort of get rid of the Blackfires once and for all. And they have a Blackfire claimant come in good faith and then, Brendan executes him and he clearly does that in the interest of the greater good for the realm. But he gets sent away for that. He's punished. He's sent to the wall kind of like not, not too dissimilar from what happened with John. I think it's John. Yeah. I think it's a very clear reference or illusion or, or foreshadowing there. Yeah. Right. So to look at Bran, who is the successor to Brendan's job He's king who, you know, it's, it's a who watches the watchman type scenario. Oh, who is, who is constraining, uh, this God King that is now running Westeros? Uh, I believe the answer is no one. Um, right. I mean, it's like Ozzie Diaz's view of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. For those of you who follow, follow watchmen, uh, not to, not to do too many pop culture (laughs) references, but it's just, it's, it's an interesting question that even if, you know, George R. R. Martin's not supposed to put forth some perfect absolute philosophy, maybe you roll roll around with that one for a little bit before you conclude the series. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think if you look at political philosophers or or especially folks in the sort of natural rights vein of political philosophy would argue that the the um 
the only constraint against brand in, in this particular circumstance would be the people themselves. Um, and that kind of goes along hand in hand with Ferris's riddle. I think it, it fits very nicely with Ferris's riddle. And the idea is that if brand is so terrible that the people will rise up and, uh, and revolt, um, Obviously, that's difficult to do when you have a literal, you know, magical being, omniscient, whatever the fuck he is, um, running the country. Uh, it's a little bit more challenging <laughs> for people to rise up and revolt. Yeah, yeah. It's not like King George, you know, uh, who lives an ocean away and he rise up and revolt against some guy who, you know, isn't really trying that hard and is certainly not magical anyway. Um, but that's the only check, basically. Um, it would have been really nice to have had some exploration of that. I expect that George will probably do that a little, a little bit better, uh, or certainly a lot, a lot better. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting question as, as to what happens now. Um, I, I would love, you know, uh, an entire treatise on how brand governs and what his tax policy is, what his policy is of any other, kingdoms that want to break away, you know, how he deals with bravos, how he deals with, uh, you know, perhaps, um, a religious uprising based on the fact that he is a God essentially from a different religion than the, um, majority of Westeros practices. I, you know, I would love all that. Um, you know, I don't think we're getting it. That's a good point. But yeah. especially in the context of the Lord of light, pretty much, Maybe not being proven as a god, but proven as something. Yeah. And Brand is clearly also something. I mean, we, we, I mean, it's the people, you know, agnosticism is, you know, I, I believe there's something there, but I don't know what the hell it sure. is. And I mean, none of us really do either. Uh, when it comes to that, though, the show has, you know, Melisandre's power. And, and not only that, but like, Thomas, I think, had uh, Re Reve he mentioned Revelations at some point. I'm yes, sure he was about the Long Night, right? Um, but just just the sort of the end game thing about not Avengers End Game, but the end game of, of I don't think anybody was thinking about the Avengers, but me at that point. Uh, the the idea that that Melisandre and Roller showed up for the end of the world. Um, is interesting, and the show obviously didn't have time. It's not a show about Roller, and even the the neither of the books. But you have that, and you have Bran, and it ah, it's just there's so much to think about. Yeah, um, yeah. So I can I mention a criticism of the last couple of seasons, or, or at least especially oh yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, is yeah. not about open open all right. opened it all up. Yeah, okay. Um, and Zoe, her friend Zoe, who was on the podcast, uh, for the long night, um, mentioned this, dragged me on Twitter for, for doing this, uh, or for not mentioning this in the last podcast. Um, and I, I absolutely okay. should have, um, because it was striking to me after the finale that the, the finale and that season all season long had done so much to sort of honor Ned Stark's memory. And Ned is my favorite character uh, in the show, favorite character overall. But my favorite character in terms of point of view in the entire series um, is Catelyn Stark. And she wasn't mentioned 
if I recall at all in the final season at all. Um, and that is, you know, kind of insane when you think about it. They, there were so many times when one of the Stark kids yeah. would say, I miss father. And how hard would it have been to say, yeah, I miss mother as well. Um, so it's ridiculous that, you know, given how important she was as a character, for, especially for the first three seasons, but and beyond, um, that they never even mentioned her. Um, and the reason why that really frustrated me and really bothered me was that of all the characters in uh, this story, she is the character that deserved this ending the most. You know, she dies at the Red mm-hmm. Wedding thinking yep. that all of her children are dead. Um, and that is why she, that is one of the reasons why she's so um, upset and, and freaked out at the Red Wedding is that she believes Brandon Rickon are dead and Sansa and Arya are dead. Um, and so that Rob is the last one of her living children. And it turns out she's wrong. Uh, about that thankfully but instead of you know this complete wipeout of all of her children what she ended up getting the end result of this story is that two of her children are monarchs are are kings and queens um and the third who is still alive uh is the literal savior of the world and a hero that will never be forgotten and that's an ending that, you know, is worthy of the wonderful character that Catelyn Stark was. Um, and, uh, I really think that they should have mentioned that, uh, or, or something should have been said by one of those Stark kids about Catelyn. Obviously Catelyn's treatment of John would have made it, um, very difficult for, um, it to be brought up in the context of John or, or maybe it, it, it should have been. Um, I mean, yeah, that's true. But, uh, you know, like, there's no reason in my mind why that shouldn't have happened. And that feels like one of those things that is the result of having a male-only writer's room. Uh, where, you know, everybody wants to talk about Ned because Ned is, you know, the father figure. And nobody is like, well, what about Catalan? Um, and, you know, I don't know, maybe that's surface-level analysis, but um, it bothered me. Uh, it's still one of my biggest nitpicks with the last season, really the last couple of seasons, um, is that, you know, Catelyn Stark is a big fucking deal. And they just were like, oh, I guess she's only a big deal because, you know, Brienne swore an oath. But no, she's a bigger deal than that. And they, they should have mentioned that. I think also even with the... Cat- Catelyn is obviously not warm to John in the show, but... I think it's like hit. I, I think the books hit it home so much more because they have the point of view chapter. We, I mean, the point of view characters. We see all of her internal feelings and all of John's internal feelings also about that. Uh, that really make you make you feel for the way that was treated. But I completely agree that she was also just a, a much smarter politician than Ned. Ned makes a lot of mistakes. And I like Ned a lot, and he's a good-hearted man. But the downfall of his family was kind of preventable, and he 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 wasn't a good politician. But my feelings towards that exist um, alongside my frustrations that the show ended with Tyrion as hand because 
in American politics, especially, I'm sure it happens elsewhere, but we have politicians who make mistakes and are pretty big ones. And then they run for reelection or they run for higher office. And when you ask the question of like, well, what about this? What about that? You're, you're just kind of, it's pushed aside. You're told to forget about it. But there's always exists the alternative that nobody really wants to talk about of what about somebody new? What about if Bran had picked a new hand that wasn't, you know, this guy who really didn't factor into the second half of the show as much as maybe he should have given the audience's popularity? I mean, Tyrion, he, he's always seemed kind of off since the the imprisonment in season four and i guess he kind of got oh that was to be expected given the way that uh season five happened but i i, I liked a dancer dragons Tyrion a hell of a lot more than i liked season five Tyrion. Yeah. bit somber and also just kind of expendable like in a dance with dragons Tyrion is kind of trying to keep his little trio of him, Penny and Jorah alive and kind of together and, and looking out for their shitty situations. And Tyrion obviously has to rule in Marine, but he, he, he just doesn't seem as it, it seems less vital than it did before. I think that's fair. I think that makes sense. Uh, you know, he, he's George's favorite character. I believe George has said something like that, that, or at least, I don't know, maybe he's George's favorite character to write. Um, and so I guess it's not surprising. I think I said on the last week's podcast that I did not expect him to live um, in the books. Uh, and I'm I'm sort of walking that take back a little bit. I think it's possible given, you know, how much George likes Tyrion. Um, but it is it is a little bit unsatisfying where you have this guy who failed upwards um, again and again and again uh, right. end up in this job that he quote unquote doesn't want, but he wants that job. He's wanted that job his entire life. That's like the thing that he enjoyed doing the most. So I don't, I don't know. That doesn't sit particularly well with me either. And I I don't buy that brand, you know, brand brand said at Winterfell, you know, I don't want to be a Lord. I don't want anything. I guess a, I don't believe that. And B, I I don't expect that we that people should believe that either. I mean, certainly people there's, there's always the notion of the best King is the one who doesn't want it. Cause they're not going to be a dick with all their power. That's what the philosopher King is. But as I said last week, the philosopher King doesn't really have the emperor Palpatine. Absolute yeah, power. Plato kind of sucks. Plato can c- kind of go fuck himself on that. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm with you on that. <laughs> Every time I'm like, well, he's a teenage boy. Obviously he's not just a teenage boy. But uh, it, I, I, I really, I was ready with those with with the flames flying for Balkan. <laughs> yes, I, I, I want, I wanted it. I thought it, and I thought it was gonna happen, and I thought it was, it was the best thing to happen, and I, I, I thought it would have made, it would have been satisfying from a narrative standpoint. Yeah, I agree. Or you know, like a full on, you know, federal system where you have perhaps an, a right. centralized authority um, and then a devolution of police power to the state, something like that. That's, you know, my, my general preference. But, um, go well, ahead. It's, oh, well, especially just from the perspective of, 
The Reach didn't really factor into the series at all after Alana Tyrell's death. I mean, Randall Charlie was around, but it was never really... I mean, I I guess maybe he was just supposed to function as the the Reach, as himself, but, you know, it just kind of seemed like that was his army, not... Not maybe speaking for the rest. Of, I, I don't know. He, he he didn't really seem like the powerhouse that. I mean, the Tyrells were the whole the whole fucking thing in in the War of the Five Kings. Whoever they sided with right. would win, and they're all kind of gone. It, it felt weird. It felt kind of empty. And then Dorne felt kind of empty, obviously. And that's maybe for the best. I mean, for all the ways that season six kind of rushed through things and killed off a lot of characters really quickly. Whether it was, you know, up at the wall or, you know, the best way to honor Avenge Doran Martell is to kill all his family. Uh, that, that kind of stuff was, was rushed and blowing up the, blowing up everybody, you know, Loris, uh, singing Mace Tyrell and the, the High Sparrow and all of that. It was rushed, but it was very satisfying and it made sense and I got yeah. it. And I, I didn't care because I, I was really, I was having fun. I really liked season six more so than season five kind of dragged in at some points, but I thought season six really made the most of its time. And we've been kind of, it feels like parts of Westeros have really been missing the past couple of seasons. And I think it's just because it's had this more sort of micro focus on the key players right. in the game. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, I was just going to, I was going to ask you, I mean, we, we've kind of, we've kind of dragged how, the season was executed and whatnot. I was, I was going to see what you thought, like who your, your MVP of this, this season was. If you had to pick. Ooh, if I had to pick one, I, I I really want to say Sansa Stark. I I loved her ending. She didn't. There are frustrations I have with the way that the the Daenerys Sansa... It not only felt forced, it wasn't really needed at all. Uh, Minus, like, uh, I mean, some sort of tension, but Sansa certainly didn't have... Once Danny burned the city, the fact that, you know, the North also wanted independence aside from the realm kind of took a backseat to, holy shit, this woman's crazy, you gotta kill her. Um... You look at like you, you you look at everybody's up north in the beginning. Sansa's like, "Well, we're going to have our stuff. We're going to be prepared for this. We're going to have the food. You can right. fight, you know, the dead people, but we want to we want to live afterward also." She talked to she didn't just keep this R plus L equals J secret, which also didn't really factor into the show. I mean, it it did. It served its role in in Danny's downward spiral, but it didn't really matter that much beyond that. But she was great there. Yeah, I, I think, you know, she's an awesome choice. Um, and Sophie Turner really, you know, killed it uh, this season. She, I mean, is a fantastic fantastic actress. And so I, I, I think she did a great job. Uh, I think for this season, this season, my MVP would be Arya, my favorite child, Arya Stark. Um, of course, also a know, good choice. She did, as we said before literally save the world which is you know pretty good it's a good start even if it happened in season three um and uh, you know i think from a storytelling perspective i really appreciated how they humanized her in a way that they had not done in a lot of the previous seasons that you know like 
her journey basically once right. she got to Bravos was like to turn her into a killer robot. And while, you know, there was a lot of good drama and, you know, internally you could see that Arya was fighting against that, you know, keeping needle, all of that stuff. Um, she had been sort of, you know, had that veneer of just invincibility and inhumanity that, um, uh, they were for a while once she got back into Westeros. And so this season really humanized her in a way that, um, that I loved, you know, I, you know, I loved how she got to be romantic with somebody. I loved how she, um, you know, had that hug with John in season or in the, the opening episode. Um, and I especially loved, you know, the conclusion of her, her arc where she, um, had the opportunity to cross off the last name on her list and chose not to and chose instead to live. Um, and, you know, I just love that so much. I, I can't uh, say how grateful I am as a, as, you know, a parent of Arya Stark, my favorite child, um, that that was the arc that I got from her. So that's, that's what, that's what I would have as my season MVP. It was fabulous. It was a fabulous ending for Arya. My my the only thing that could have made it sweeter was if she had sailed off with the hound because I I think I think it it was great to see her sailing off into the great unknown and I'm glad that I I'm glad that she didn't end up with Gendry but also got to be with him cuz I think that's great but it it would have to have her have a friend to, you know, experience all of that with also could have been Fun for. I, I think I, I liked that, but, but go ahead. It, go ahead. Sorry. Well, with the hound, the hound, the hound preached of you know how you know, Arya is not irredeemable. She can choose life. I just wish that he had realized that he himself was also redeemable. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody's at that point where they're so consumed by vengeance that they can't take a step back and uh mr rogers has a great song about that uh what do you do with the mad that you feel uh i wish that that the hound had found a more productive way for the mad that he had felt he the hound probably could have benefited from a few viewings of mr rogers neighborhood i totally agree with that um i i was fine that Arya did that by herself um and she's always been you know the lone wolf she's always been yep. uh, the person who so not that she didn't learn a lot from her various father figures, and there were many, uh, the Hound being a very significant one. Um, but I appreciated that she just decided, you know what, I could have a comfortable life here, but I'm going to go off on my own. Um, and that's, in my mind, quintessential Arya. But so, For sure. So if, if Sansa and Arya are our season MVPs, Ian, do you have a... Do you have a series MVP that you care to name? I'm not sure if he's Sir, if he's Lord, but uh, Davos Seaworth. Sure, I love him. I I wanted him as Han. I if I had to give a season secondary MVP though, it would be uh, Beric Dondarrion, who was a character that I I didn't care about, and then when he reemerged with the Hound and Thoros, I started to care about him again, and then I was really sad when he died. Yeah. So Richard Dormer was phenomenal in that role and i i he, re, he really made me care about the guy so that's a that makes sense really yeah he was a lot of fun but davos 
a character like Davos is really the the. I mean, Arya's hero's journey is so fabulous, just from you know the frantic nature of her escaping King's Landing to all that time alone and all of just just how she became a force of nature through through her own will. You know, pe- there were father figures along the way, plenty of them, but she always had to. You know, there were so many times when she just had to take her own uh, fate into her own hands. But Davos, he. People like Tyrion get so many opportunities and so many chances to fail. Davos didn't get a lot of chances to fail. He had to work his butt off to, you know, serve Stannis, survive Stannis, and then integrate himself into the northern scene. He had to think quickly. I mean, he he's he he saved John. John, you know, with regardless of what happened with Azor Ahai, maybe Davos was Azor Ahai for. Uh, Keeping keeping John alive during that fateful Maybe he uh, was. episode. Sure. He, uh, I, I just love him. Liam Cunningham played that role beautifully, and he. There were there were scenes where I, I may have been frustrated with something that happened, and then he comes in and he's he has a sort of calming presence just being there. He's a great he's a great speaker, and uh, there's not a Davos scene that I don't smile at. I really like him a lot. Oh, I love that. I love that answer. I am impressed that you restrained yourself from choosing Stannis. Uh, but I, I do love, uh, <laughs> Lord Davos. Uh, I guess, yeah, he is Lord Davos. He's gotta be Lord Davos. He's in the books. He's clearly Lord Davos right. at this right. point, but, um, right. um the sh- he would be as master. Of that's ships. right. He's Lord Davos, uh, master of ships. Um, that's a great answer. Um, I think I am, you know, I, I, I kind of vassal, vacillate back and forth between these two characters, neither of which I would list on my, you know, all time faves, but, um, I gotta go, I gotta go with just beating out Daenerys Targaryen with Cersei Lannister as the MVP of the series. Um, and a big part of that is obviously Lena Headey, who's, you know, incredible, um, and the best, I think overall actor on the, in the series in terms of her entire body of work, you know, you can make an argument for Michelle Fairley or, or Sean Bean or Charles Dance or, or any number of people. Um, Julian Glover, Grandmaster Pycelle. Yes, of course. Grandmaster Pycelle, uh, who is wonderful. Um, but in terms of what they did on the show, nobody did it, you know, in terms of, and for how long nobody did it better than Lena Headey and Cersei was such an incredible character. And I think an incredible show character, not just like they are basing it entirely off of what happened in the books. I think that the show managed to humanize her in ways that are not always happening in the books. She's, I think, you know, significantly more evil in the books. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would say that she's, she's at least more evil in the books. Um, and, uh, Lini, he found a way to, lean into that evil but still humanize her in the same way and so she would be my my mvp of the series i I think um would be cersei lannister that's a great choice i actually in my in my review of season eight i i criticized how she was she felt oddly detached given yeah cersei's powerhouse as a character and also 
Lena's act. I, I felt like she was given very little to work with. It was like Euron was her plaything, and it was just kind of like it was. It was she deserved better than that kind of filler. I agree. Little, uh, they're fun. She she was great in it, and Euron Euron could be a runner up for my show MVP also. Uh, so for this season, um, yeah, because he was a lot of fun. I, I mean, my and if you're just gonna act, ask me who did the best acting job in season eight, I would say Amelia Clark. Um, she had to convey so many, you know, incredible, so many different emotions with so little dialogue. And I think she really did a wonderful job. Uh, You know, it's, I don't think it's her fault at all that the turn didn't feel earned for some people. If you just watch that scene where she makes the decision to burn the city, it is, uh, I think it's a masterclass in, in nonverbal acting. Um, so I think she, she did an incredible job. And there were definitely times early in the se- series where I was like, I don't think she's a very good actress, but I think in retrospect, it was that she was having to say really cheesy lines and dialogue in ways that, you know, she had to make it sound, um, uh, believable. And she, did a pretty good job, but any doubts that I had that she can like act her ass off were absolutely destroyed by what she did this season. Yeah. I really liked that. I liked season. I liked episode five a lot, even though I feel like there are so many people who were critical of the show or critical of that episode. And I said, you know, I, it's a great, it's a great hour and a half of television. Yeah, I love it. Uh, and and a lot of that was the non was just the cinematography and the nonverbal scenes of just the destruction because I was talking about it earlier today just the the parallels of King Ares wanting to burn the city and then Daenerys doing it to just see that in the flesh and Varys's line of you know when you when you lords play the Game of Thrones play your Game of Thrones it's the people who suffer something yep. like that. Um, and we saw that they King's Landing, you know, as evil as Cersei is, and I've said this in other episodes, King's Landing didn't look like it was totally dysfunctional before Daenerys. She wanted to break the wheel, but who's to say the wheel wasn't at that point in time working? It, you know, the the I think it's in a feast for crows, but it may be a storm of swords. It's somebody in the Riverlands basically comments that they didn't even think King Ares was that bad. Yeah. Right. There are so many people in Westeros and we, this show focused on a few of them. And obviously the, the great houses are having their wars and the people who have to go fight in them are getting killed. But, um, you know, if, if, if your sort of everyday commoner has a voice in regime change, they're probably going to say, you know, when, when was I doing the best? And when the city's all burnt, it's like, okay, if you're going to be the savior, who are you saving? Right. So that that was always uh, a challenge. And I thought episode five just, obviously it was condensed, but it was, uh, it was, a, it was great TV. And that's, I mean, that's, that's always what I try to separate from whether or not I give it a good or a bad review is just the fact that I, I did really enjoy this season. I knew that it was, that we were, I mean, with, People say, oh, this is like the last huge TV show. I mean, 
wait till like a startup company gets another book <laughs> series and says, I want to pour all the money of venture capital into this. I'll build you another thing. Like, event, event TV isn't going anywhere. We'll just, you know, as, as fractured as we are, there will be another big thing. Avengers this past 10 years, it, it, it's the greatest, um, superhero connected universe just yet. I mean, that doesn't mean that it's going to, you know, 20 years from now, that could be different. And same with Game of Thrones. But for now, for the present, I knew that this was this was a singular moment in time that may not come again. And I wanted to soak in every moment of it. And I, I feel like I did six weeks of fun television that I had a good time watching. Good. Yeah, me too. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I felt like it was like the Super Bowl every week. Um, and maybe that's a bad metaphor because i'm not all that into um the super bowl the world, the world, <laughs> yeah, series, the world every series every day, day. um <laughs> so i'm a i'm a i'm a lions fan in the nfl so i, I never give a shit about the super bowl but um yeah it's Sorry terrible uh but the yeah the it, it was it's wonderful and you know it was nice to uh, you you and i ian met on sort of game of thrones twitter or asoiaf twitter um, as they say Aswaf, uh, Aswaf, uh, a while ago. And so it was sort of nice to have like the whole world on game of in our little Twitter place, um, or our conversation, like they're all playing on our field for a while. Um, and that's kind of fun. It's, it's also not fun in a lot of ways because then you get like people who are like really don't enjoy the show or don't know the show or, um, you get, you know, a mountain of bad takes and, you know, terrible memes and like all yeah. of this stuff. And you're like, okay, you guys are idiots or not idiots, but like you don't love this thing in the same way that, that, uh, you or I love this thing. And that's totally understandable. Um, you know, but so now it's over. Um, and it was a fun ride while it lasted. And now everybody's going to go off and play in, at, in their yard. And we get to, you know, sit here in ours and, uh, you know, drum our fingers and wait for T-Wow and, you know, talk about John Connington instead of, and uh, now, and that's the fun part, you know? It does, yeah, it does feel, I mean, the fandom's obviously not going anywhere. Hundreds of millions of people watch this show every week. Uh, This fandom will survive. It's always, uh, just as as an academic, I look at a lot of uh if you look at bestseller lists from the 30s like each week even if you look at like a a a year's worth of stuff on like a book list game of thrones will be remembered 100 years from now that that seems fairly clear and as it pertains now game of thrones as event as an as a global event is kind of over and the world will move on with all of those fans still producing content, but there's not going to be that weekly moment in time where we all kind of sync up and say, okay, here's where we experience this together. So many more people will continue to engage with this show and watch, and, and watch it and love it and write about it till the end of time. But we're not going to get hundreds of millions of people on the same page again like that. So it's it's weird to think about and to soak it in. And it's almost why I really wanted to do this podcast 
a little while later because I, I needed to just think about it and, and chew all over that stuff. And when you when you write a review of something, you're really kind of trying to do it contemporaneously. Like, how did I feel right after right. you write your review? Usually, like the next day. It's not like you're writing a five thousand word treatise on it, or you know a peer-reviewed thing that's going to go in the Library of Congress saying, here are my thoughts and all of that. It's an imperfect process that, that is very susceptible to change over time, but it's not really going to reflect that change. And I've been just trying to think about season eight in the context of how did I really feel about this this end of the season, how the show spent its time? Because from you know the beginning on, there were all, I, I, I talked to you about this before we started recording, but just like I thought a lot this week about Ramsey Bolton, who was Ramsey Snow, and he had a very, very long story arc in the grand scheme of things. He started in the beginning or the uh, middle latter right. part of season two, and he carried on through season six. That's a long time. Daenerys, since 1996, we've wondered when she would set sail to Westeros, and we, do, we haven't seen that in the books yet. But for eight, nine years, we wanted to see what Danny would do when she got to King's Landing. And we saw a little bit of that very quickly because the show had to end. And I just think about, you know, we had this great fleshed out villain in Ramsey. And then we had a villain in Danny who we didn't even know was a villain until really the end of the second to last episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, you know, there were. Uh, during the sort of reign of Ramsey Bolton, um, there are so many people who were complaining, and I, I think it's a legit complaint that, yeah, that there there would be something every week that would reinforce Ramsey's villainy. You know, it was like every single week he had to he had to torture yeah. somebody, every exactly. single like somebody new, or skin somebody, or you know, brutally murder someone. It's just like, yeah, we get it, Christ, um, and we we got none of that with Danny. Um, and or, or or to the extent that we did, it was so under the surface uh, that um, you know it, th there's no wonder why so many people feel like it's unearned. So that's a really great point. Um, I in uh, so along the, kind of along those lines, I was so yesterday I rewatched the finale for the first time. I, I still like it a lot, and just on a lark, I thought, you know what, I'm going to watch. Uh, Watchers on the Wall, which is the big battle episode at the end of season four. My all-time favorite episode. Really? Really? That's interesting. Um, I love because it. I, Seeing it in IMAX. Uh, I, I, I totally saw it in IMAX. And I remember watching it the live, uh, knowing what was going to happen, because I had just caught up with the books and I knew what was going to happen. Um, I remember not being super into it. Um, and I remember thinking, eh, that was that was a little bit unsatisfying um, for a number of different reasons. I thought that, um, you know, we were going to go farther along in the story. I didn't expect a full bottle episode just on Jon Snow, basically. Um, and uh, Jon Snow is one of my favorite characters. And so I, you know, I'm not complaining about that in any way, but I remember thinking, eh, in terms of, you know, battle episodes, it was pretty good, but it wasn't, it was no Blackwater. And, you know, later I was like, oh, I think, you know, Battle of the Bastards is better or, or, um, Hard Home, which I still think is better. But, um, anyway, 
I, and I watched it yesterday. And I was like, this is a fucking great episode. It's fucking incredible. And you know, there are the way that, um, Egret, you know, should, dies. Um, and even, you know, like seeing Ollie didn't bother me. Like it made sense. Um, that he would still be pissed off about, you know, Egret killing his parents, right? Like that's a, that, that makes sense as a, as a, yeah. as a storytelling device. Um, and so like, I just sat back and was like, this is incredible. Um, and I think during the intervening, what, five years that it's been, that episode has aged very well for me. Some episodes have not aged quite as well. Um, but for the most part, you know, when I do go back and watch some of those earlier season episodes, I, even in, you know, even in season five, some of those episodes with obvious exceptions, um, they are better than I thought that they were, um, when I watched them at the time. And so, you know, my hunch is when, when we, when I do go back and rewatch this, uh, series from start to finish, which I probably will way too much. Um, and my partners will complain about it, but, um, that it, it's going to season uh, seven and eight are, are going to end up better um, than, than I expected. That's my hunch. I could be wrong. I don't know. We'll see. Sir Alistair's speech in the watchers on the wall, when he goes, brothers, a yes. hundred generations have defended this castle. She has never fallen before. She will not fall tonight. That's like my favorite, favorite speech from the, sometimes if I have writer's block and I'm like, I'm going to quit for the day. I, sometimes I put that on. I'm like, no, no. I'm and they made us care about Sir Alistair Thorne, who's a fucking asshole. Oh, I love you know, him. like, and he yeah. was a villain for the entire time, except for that one time, that one episode uh, where he was great. And it, he, he was great in a completely understandable way. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he was great. Uh, what's it? What's it? I, I love him infinitely more than the book. Sir Al- and I actually, I like books Sir Alistair when, when he gets sent beyond the wall, at the end of A Dance with Dragons, and he, he, he kind of has that moment of weird respect for the Lord Commander. I, I like his character a lot. I could see myself doing like a, a Al, Alistair episode. It should. I always think like, you know, how much, how much more is this uh, podcast going to focus on Game of Thrones? Because uh, with the season ending, and it's like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this <laughs> character, I want to do that character. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard to look at and the show is just evolved. there really is nothing like it where you have a series that is picked up and the books right. aren't done and the books don't finish by the time the show does the show takes over and I, that unquestionably obviously altered the course of the series and of course of the show and probably the books also uh, if you're george r r martin and you're thinking to yourself you're seeing characters on screen you're like oh that person really works well that person works well but ramsey for instance is very insignificant in the books relative to you know his show arc but when it comes to season eight the the whole concept of the Miranese knot which is the the struggle that george r r martin had when writing a dance with dragons because you have all these different characters who are on their way to danny and it was such a pacing nightmare the show started to contract or yeah it, it it started to kind of focus on the end game in season six and sort of uh, get some players off the map that it didn't need anymore. And it still wasn't enough. And I, it, it, 10 ep- you, you can't adapt in a thousand page book in 10 yeah, episodes. Totally. You got to cut stuff out. 
and you can't you can't finish your adaptation to books thousand page books that haven't been written in fewer episodes either and that's such a challenge and all of that and I, I, it seems stupid to say I just wish even in spite of all of that the show had taken more time in the end to just breathe which is probably why episodes one and two were so good because they did kind of do that a bit yeah it was a very much uh, reacting not just advancing the plot yeah I agree I, I think that uh, our I listed episode two and I of the seven kingdoms as my favorite overall episode of Game of Thrones that's uh, probably a, a quick take We'll see whether that it stays up there, but it's fucking great. I've watched it, I don't know, five times since it came out, and it, it makes me cry every time. So, Like a big softie, like the softie that I am. So that was obviously your favorite. Ep- uh, that was my favorite episode of the season yeah. also. Um, I was going I, I to like say, I was, as a topic for this episode, I was going to say, you know, rank all the episodes, <laughs> right, but it's not right. really interesting to talk about, but... In the context of that, uh, quickly, in case anybody was uh, wondering, I would probably go with um, two, five, one, six, three, four. That's how I would do it. All. Okay, I think that that's. I, I haven't really ranked them in my head off offhand, but I, my least favorite was episode four, was the last of the Starks. My favorite was episode two, and yeah, the rest of them. I'm, the I'm not point. sure. Uh, you know it's hard to think about and it would be easier if they focused uh it felt like at times the final season was like uh like how what they do with uh the the harry potter movies or the hunger games where they they split the final one into two separate things it kind of felt like here's part one the night king and part two is the the conclusion all of this um and like I'd always say when people would ask me who who do you want to win the Game of Thrones, I'm like, it's not about that. It's about the Song of Ice and Fire. And for the show, it was really it's not really about the Song of Ice and Fire. It actually right. is kind of about the Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, although obviously Ice and Fire play a big role and the end with that. Yeah, I, I liked how they played off, you know, the Ice and Fire aspect of it. You know, I appreciate that, you know, the I think that the Azor a high prophecy was fulfilled by you know, uniting the realm to bring the dawn. Uh, uh, so I, I'm, yeah, I'm perfectly satisfied with that. Um, one one critique that I've seen bandied around a lot um, that really bothers me is this notion that John's parentage didn't end up mattering. Um, and I, I I vehemently object to that um, objection. I, 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 I object to your objection, but the idea is like, it, it it absolutely did end up mattering. Um, it's the reason why Danny could never trust John. It's the reason why Danny was likely to end up killing Sansa and Arya. And it's the reason why John made the decision that he made. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I agree with that because, and not only, not only do I like it for those reasons, but, for it, for it to like play out in some bigger way than that would would play too much into the notion of of prophecy, right? Or or, or just destiny or the chosen one. And even with Azora, Azora High, in my opinion, also works better from a United the Realms kind right. of thing because it's not like it's not like he took his. I mean, his his long claw is a valuable sword, obviously, but it's not 
it's not, you know, the only sword that can pierce. It's not like Harry Potter's right. wand has to have the Phoenix feather to stop Voldemort. It's, it's this, this, he came back from the dead. Sure. But he still is also a man. And his job is not to go rent, you know, run around like John Rambo. It's to, you know, get a coalition together and, and unite people to, to, to win the day. So in that regard, I, I liked the, how both of those played out. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree with that. I think overall, I liked this season um, or I enjoyed this season. I, I don't know what I would give it. As as I said earlier, I don't know what I would give it on Rotten Tomatoes, but I liked it better than, say, season seven, um, which I, I think had like maybe one or two good episodes or really good episodes. And this had like the best episode of Game of Thrones and then some other, you know, pretty kick-ass ones. So I liked it. Um, you know, the series obviously is my favorite television show of all time. I don't, I, I guess that's not, not obvious, but it is my favorite television show of all time. Um, I think I've talked about this briefly, but you know, it, it certainly changed my life in the sense that it introduced me to, um, an entire community of people who I in, love interacting with on an intellectual level. Um, and I love, playing with not not in like a creepy way but like this is play right like this is you know oh of course it's play we had uh we had weekly uh group play days yep yeah for the whole final season yeah that's what they were and you know it it made me start uh the blog that i started writing that i'm really enjoying writing at laws and ice and fire um and introduced me like i said to a, a bunch of really great friends including you um, so this is a, a, a television show that, uh, is going to be near and dear to my heart for the rest of my life. Um, and, uh, I'm thrilled to have gotten the chance to talk about it with you, uh, on this podcast and, uh, in other places and, uh, you know, looking forward to how the community continues to change and evolve with, whatever new stuff we get or don't get. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, th- that's pretty much it. I, I just wanted to, once again, thank you for inviting me on. It's been a real treat and just, uh, really appreciate it. It has been, you know, I, the two shows I've covered more than any, more than every other combined are game of Thrones and Downton Abbey. And I, my all-time favorite show is probably Star Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and then Oz and Halt and Catch Fire are probably it. it Game of Thrones has always been something that I've loved, but I, I just I lose myself in the book so much. For the past couple of years, I've I've always started each season saying to myself, because you just the whole. You know, that didn't happen in the books. I mean, that's just been a trope for so long. Beyond, before Game of Thrones, obviously. And it's just such a boring way to consume uh, film or television because you, you you can't just sit there. This goes for just life in general. You can't just go there, sit there thinking of all the things you don't have. You need to appreciate what is in front of you. And if you don't like it, it should be on those merits and not on your abstract desires because those can follow infinite rabbit holes. Game of Thrones gave me so many opportunities to engage with material on such a, just a big scale of, uh, fan, of fan, you know, there's fandoms for so many different shows. 
But Game of Thrones was was you know one fandom to rule them all to borrow <laughs> another fandom's uh, lines. Ah, it, it it was the biggest. It was the biggest thing. It was the biggest thing. You know there was and there is and it on TV, and it was just so fun to just engage with this stuff because. Yeah, there's all this there's all this critical content and all these people going, ah, this sucks every episode. I gave it a negative review and I had a lot of fun watching it. I I, I think I did I, I, I felt a lot like Stannis at the end where Brienne where he's looking at her, he says, Go on, do your duty. I felt like I felt like I had to put my as try to be as objective as possible and say these six episodes as a cohesive unit. We're 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 fun to watch for the spectacle, but as a as a narrative, I I I, I could have probably I I went I gave seasons six and seven both positive reviews. There's quality and then there's enjoyment, and I loved it, and I love the spectacle that is this fandom. It's it's it 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 transcends these sixty or I guess hour twenty episode minute episodes for a lot of them. Because you go out, and I know, I mean, you can go on so many different sites. Podcasts, you're a bit more limited to this one. Right. Or depending on the Quantum Realm status, uh, Alexandra's also. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a thing that's changed so many people's lives. And so many of the people, I, I, this, this, this show gave me a chance to get this podcast off the ground and host weekly roundtables where we... Uh, it, Four people got together and had a great chat every week. That's special. And that's, you know, people ask me, what show are you going to do next? Hey, I'm really not sure if we're going to do a show specifically next, but just, just the idea of what kind of, what kind of piece of entertainment could you like, consistently wrangle up a group of people to do that kind of thing for that's airing right now. It's just so hard to think about. And it makes you so appreciative of the era that it, it, Couple that with the end of the MCU, like right now, it's kind of a melancholic time for fandoms. But um, I'm just excited for what will come next with the Winds of Winter, the prequel series, and all the stuff. Fan, the, this fandom puts out great stuff every day. So, so what I just heard from you, Ian, was I think a really clear statement that the fresh rating was literally the friends we made along the way. It's true, right? right? I, I I like Game of Thrones con, uh, creator con. I like content about Game of Thrones often more than I like the. I, I just just the the chance to like read a chapter of the book and read it one way and then listen to a podcast about that chapter and then like holy shit these words meant totally something new and and that's just something that there's something that this fandom has given us and it's it's it. Not, not to just you know go on rambling for the next hour on uh, how much I appreciate the fandom, but it it does it 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 adds another dimension to the notion of good or strictly good or bad because there's so much discourse about it, and that's 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 what criticism is about. It's about a discourse about something. It's not about giving it like a grade, like it's a pop quiz or a you know a test. Sure. It's it's so much more than that. So yeah, uh, couldn't have said it better myself. Now to yeah. Well, do you, I mean, people I think by now know where to find you, but uh, Clint's been around <laughs> on uh, been around on our. Sure. It, it, it'll be weird. We'll do there will be episodes that come out that aren't like 
Game of Thrones Season 8 recap with the episode number. But uh, we're at the end of the line. And uh, for everybody listening, um, I want to thank you again. Clint will uh, show us where we can find Laws of Ice and Fire. I don't want to just do it for him, but... <laughs> That's fine. So, you know, uh, you're... Uh... Yeah, anytime you want to have me on, I'd be happy to. For any other show, even shows that I don't watch, I'll, I'll watch it just to just to hang out with you. But um, once again, my name is Clint. Um, I uh, you can find my writing at lawsoficeandfire dot com. Currently, I'm writing a, uh, a an essay as to whether or not the Great Council that we saw in the finale constitutes a social contract. The answer is mostly it depends on who you ask but I'm going to go through uh, all of the various implications on that. On that. And it'll probably be like four or 5,000 words because I have a problem with brevity. So uh, you can find me at laws and, laws and ice, lawsoficeandfire.com or at Westeros Law on Twitter or Clint W. on Twitter. Awesome. And to you, the listener, uh, it's been a very fun adventure. I'm yeah. uh, sad that we're capping off season eight, but uh, and now... And now our watch has ended. I, you know, I, I figured there would be like a way to time that so that it could be like the last thing. But uh, I've already said it and uh, I didn't write it. I didn't write an outro out. So uh, to all of you, thanks again. And now yeah, our watch like has ended. One of those. Uh, uh, <laughs> one of those awkward. Th- oh, wait, is our watch ended now? Wait. Oh, yeah. OK. Right. All right. Ah. Okay. We'll have a nice blooper rail. Then we'll bring back sure. that, that live track I found. <laughs> okay well thanks again thanks again for listening and uh we'll see you next time for something not game of thrones